welcome to the Web Policy Talk podcast recorded live at the Impact and Policy Research Institute Impri New Delhi Namaste and good evening everyone. I am Ritika Gupta, Assistant Director at IMPRI Impact and Policy Research Institute, Prabhav Evam Neeti Anusandhan Sansthan, Nai Diddi. Welcome you to IMPRI Hashtag Web Policy Talk. Today, we have gathered here to discuss on a very important issue, migrant workers and childcare in Thailand and Myanmar by Professor Kyoko Pusakabe. I request Anshula to moderate this session further. Thank you. Thank you, Ritika. Uh, good evening, everyone. I'm Anshula Mehta, Assistant Director at IMPRI, and um, uh, on behalf of the IMPRI Gender Impact Studies Center, Gender CRI, and Delhi Post, I welcome you all to uh, episode 26 of our talk series, The State of Gender Equality, Hashtag Gender Gaps. Um, today, uh, as Ritika mentioned, we have with us Professor Kyoko Kusakabe. Uh, who will be talking on migrant workers and childcare in Thailand and Myanmar. Uh, thank you, ma'am, for joining us today. Uh, it's my pleasure to introduce her to you all. Uh, professor Kyoko is a professor of Gender and Development Studies at Department of Development and Sustainability, School of Environment, Resources and Development at the Asian Institute of Technology in Thailand. She has over 20 years of experience in research and teaching gender and development in Asia, especially focusing on the Mekong sub-region. Aside from her academic work, she has experience in working with NGOs and government organizations for gender mainstreaming and integration of gender issues. Her research focus is on gender issues in labor and work, especially on labor migration, garment factory workers, informal employment, and agriculture and fisheries. She has published or edited five books over 50 journal papers, over 20 chapters in books, over 20 monographs, and managed over 40 projects as PI or co-PI. She is a co-author of Thailand's Hidden Workforce, Burmese Migrant Women Factory Workers with Ruth Pearson, and has co-edited Fisher Folk in Cambodia, India, and Sri Lanka, Migration, Gender, and Wellbeing. Uh, thank you, Professor Kyoko, for taking out the time to join us today to talk on this topic. We also have with us um, our chair for the session, Professor Govind Kelkar, who is the chairperson of the Gender Impact Studies Center at IMPRI, and also the executive director of the Gender Center for Research and Innovation. Uh, we will also be joined by uh, several discussants today, uh, including uh, Professor Ritu Agarwal, who is uh, an associate professor at Jawaharlal Nehru University, Professor Babu P. Ramesh, who is a professor at Ambedkar University, Delhi, um, also, uh, Dr. Ashma Sood, who is an associate professor at Anant National University, Ahmedabad, and Dr. Divya Verma, uh, consultant at the Indian Institute for Human Settlements, Bangalore. Uh, so without further ado, I hand it to you, Professor Govind Gilkar, uh, to take over. Thank you. Well, welcome, Kyoko, to virtually to India. Huh? And uh, it's so nice to see you after maybe uh, several years, I think. And uh, another other discussant. The 
I'm glad that you are really talking of the importance of migration. I mean, you have been working in this area, I know, because there is a lot more rethinking on migration that is going on uh, in terms of their roles, in terms of in the receiving and sending countries, their contributions, working conditions, uh, extent of decent work um, and adequate wages. I mean, these are the discuss uh, discussed or also in the European Union, I mean, the policy forum on development. So there is a whole lot of rethinking is going on. Migrants who were treated as kind of something uh, that uh, that Trump administration, the way they, they considered migrants and the way now it is considered uh, in terms of research. This has been the research contribution to the whole question of migrant uh, conditions and also childcare facilities, entitlement to that and what to what extent they are adequate or inadequate. So with that kind of uh, perspective, it would be very, very important, very kind of interesting session. And we look forward to your presentation and also the presentations of the four discussant who are expert on this subject. So over to you. Thank you. Welcome once again. Professor Kyoko, please unmute yourself. Yes. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Professor Kyoko. And uh, thank you very much for free for for inviting me for this uh, uh, giving me this opportunity to uh, to present um, today. This is my title: Migrant Workers and Childcare in Thailand and Myanmar. Uh, so, as uh, Professor Kilka just said, uh, there's a lot of work now uh, talking about the migrant workers, women migrant workers, and all that. So, uh, but many of the uh, the work. Uh, that has been uh, is concentrated on uh, working conditions of women migrant workers. So it's a woman as workers, migrant workers have uh, been uh, discussed quite a lot. But, but the issue of social reproduction, yeah, so there the childbearing, child rearing, and community building. This kind of social reproduction has uh, gravely been neglected. So this is where we are looking at at the childcare part of the migrant workers. When we're talking about childcare, most of the migrant uh, literature talks about this transnational families and distance mothering. So there have been a lot of uh, discussion about domestic workers, child caretakers, uh, migrants, and then there's distance mothering. Uh, or there are more recently, there are more studies that talk about the plight of the children left behind by migrant parents. So these are some of the studies that is emerging. But then, then there's not so much discussion on the childcare arrangement of for children who's, who travel with their migrant pa parents. Because like there is a kind of a belief that uh, these children will be uh, taken care of by people back home, and then the migrants will go alone. But then, then what we are saying is that actually that's not that's a myth, and then that doesn't happen so often. So uh, we look. So in this uh, presentation today, we'd like to look at the childcare strategies of migrants at the place of destination. So, uh, because like even in Myanmar, even in this region, it is believed that migrating parents uh, will send their children back home to to uh, uh, to uh, to be taken care of back home. But then, then that's not really the the case. Or like um, uh, there, and then having children at that place of destination actually affect how much they were they were able to 
earn money. So uh, the impact of this childcare arrangement is also quite significant, which we also need to look at. So the childcare arrangement, it's not just like, okay, I will take care or you take care. Or so it's not a very simple arrangement. It's, it's, uh, it's actually a very complicated arrangement and how that arrangement is decided is very much, a con uh, very much depending on the contested power structure that surrounds the migrant workers. So, so that's why looking at childcare arrangement sheds, sheds light on what kind of position the migrant workers are in. So that's why uh, this complication of childcare arrangement is something that we would like to look at. So like, like what Neil was saying, this webs of interdependence. So it is how the, uh, the childcare is arranged is a result of reciprocity and obligation. Or what the Bodhisattva and Marla said about the circulation of care. So it's reciprocal, asymmetry, and multi-directional exchange. So, so you can see here how child care is a result of a very complex power structure that surrounds the migrant workers. And Wong and Jose talk about the delegation of child care, but how that is determined is, uh, is very much depending on what kind of resources migrant workers can have access to and the power relations that surround them. So some of the challenges faced by migrants on childcare. So not only the local, local women also have a lot, face a lot of challenge in childcare arrangement, but the migrant workers have even more uh, challenges in terms of arranging for childcare. For, uh, first of all, they do not have the established support network because when they come to the place of destination, the social network is very weak. So that's why they do not have a lot of support that they used to have in the place of origin. So that uh, uh, puts them in a very much of a disadvantage in terms of how to arrange. So the limited, the options for child care can be quite limited. Poverty is also another point because they, they can come here to earn money. So they do not want to spend a lot of money. And then so uh, the and then they don't uh, and then since they have to also remit a lot of money, they also uh, suffer from poverty and then the need to earn money. So if they have to go out to work. So they cannot just become a full-time child caretaker because of the economic need that is there. And then added to that, like compared to rural, uh, rural area in Myanmar, Bangkok is very high in the cost of living. So you do need to earn money in order to survive in a place of destination. So these are all things that come up uh, onto migrant workers when they want to think about how am I going to arrange a childcare for my children. Housing is another problem. Normally government, uh, government uh, migrant workers will live in a very poor housing, very small place, very congested. So it's very difficult to have children in a place where you have to share the room with several other people. So housing is another ch uh, challenge. And, uh, and then also uh, in, the, in the region that we look at, child care is, is uh, often seen as a sole responsibility of women. As you can see here, uh, the migrant women do have like almost 100% decision-making power on childcare. But that is not something that is very empowering. That is actually more of a responsibility and more of a burden for women because they are the one who have to think what to do with the children. 
So that's why, yes, they have decision-making over childcare, but then, then that is actually experienced as a lot of, uh, creates a lot of difficulty for these migrant workers. Now, uh, the, the, the cases that I'm going to share with you is this Mekong region, greater Mekong subregion uh, that ADB calls, uh, Myanmar, Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam, Laos, and Yunnan, China. So, so these are, this is the whole area where uh, regional economic integration is facilitated. So the people going here, uh, the, the mobility of people have been uh, facilitated before COVID, so not after COVID, but before until COVID came around, the, the, uh, the mobility of people and capital information were very much facilitated. So that's where a lot of uh, the migrant workers come from these neighboring countries, Myanmar, Cambodia, and Laos, to Thailand to work because there's more work in, in Thailand. So uh, uh, we have been working on migrant workers since 2006. So uh, we have uh, uh, this um, presentation that we, I'm sharing with you today is based on several um, uh, research that we have done in the past and then look at uh, some of the childcare arrangement that ha we have seen among the migrant workers. But this is only cases for, for this region. So in, in, in your region, maybe you have more different kind of childcare arrangement, but then, then that's where what we want to see that uh, the context and the location actually really shapes uh, uh, kind of childcare options that people will have. So uh, we also in this uh, presentation, I would also like to focus on the garment industry. So it is the migrant workers working in garment industry because that's where we have done more uh, more studies. So there are many young women uh, of reproductive age come to Thailand to to work or migrate to the the capital area to work. So all these migrant women, uh, there's a high percentage of migrant women go to work in garment factories. Uh, as you know, Asia is a very large hub of um, uh, garment production, and uh, also, but then also at the same time, garment industry is known for its poor working condition, low pay, sexual harassment, and all that. And then the career development is, is really not existent in uh, garment industries, so uh, 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 women workers work in the line um, as a line worker with minimum wage for a very long period of time. So just to, to share with you what kind of working condition that, that this woman that we are talking about is in. Uh, you can see here uh, the, the kind of places that we have studied in the, uh, in the past. So uh, Myanmar, uh, Cambodia, and Thailand. Uh, you can see here uh, that um, the, the, the base wage, wage in some countries because these Tilawa, Phnom Penh, Manhattan are all special economic zones, so they do comply with the, uh, the, the laws, so that's why it's the minimum wage. But in TAC, which is a border area with Myanmar and Thailand, that is actually not a special, uh, is, uh, is, is not really a protected um, uh, zone. So you can see here the minimum wage is quite low. Uh, it is much lower than the minimum wage. So you can see here that uh, uh, if they are are not really in an export processing zone, and then their uh, working condition can be below what is legally stated. So, so garment workers' uh, working conditions are uh, at best 
at the legal minimum and uh, at worst half or even lower than the legal minimum. So that's the kind of uh, uh, the, the, uh, the women who are working with this kind of wages are the people that we are looking at in, uh, in this study. So, uh, so Thailand, Thailand, so uh, just to, to, um, um, uh, to inform you about this uh, mobility situation in this region, Thailand is now becoming a hub for uh, migrant workers to come to work, especially because there are much work, uh, work to do uh, in, in Thailand. So, and then uh, Thailand, because of the labor shortage, they also try to, uh, to, uh, to facilitate workers uh, from neighboring countries to come to work. So since 2004, Thai government have opened up this kind of registration so that to, in, uh, to facilitate these uh, neighboring country workers to come to work in Thailand. So uh, now they are having this uh, uh, memorandum of understanding with neighboring countries so that uh, under the MOU, people can come register and, and work. Of course, going through this kind of a legal, uh, legalized registra uh, registration system is still very expensive and also complicated. So still, uh, uh, still many workers do come outside this kind of official arrangement but then, then still, um, uh, it has the situation has become much better than before. Around uh, around six, uh, 70 to eighty percent of the workers are now considered to be coming under the registration system. Um, the, Thailand have also started to uh, work on the border. So, uh, so they also have this section 64, which means that uh, the workers in the neighboring countries can come without any visa to, the, the to work at the border provinces. So they have designated several border provinces where the workers can stay there and work. So again, it is uh, uh, from the Thai government side or the Thai enterprise uh, side, it is a kind of an easy way to get cheap labor. So, uh, so this kind of um, a very uh, limited locational area, um, uh, 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 special arrangement have also been introduced in Thailand. So you can see here how much Thailand wants actually these workers to come to work here, but then, then work here, but they don't want to have, uh, they do not uh, want, uh, they, they actually legally prohibit workers to have children inside Thailand. But then, then I mean, these are reproductive age uh, workers, so uh, it is very difficult to prohibit them to, to have, have children. So, uh, uh, so, um, uh, so there is still this kind of very uneasiness between the Thai government and the migrant workers in terms of this regulation and what kind of thing they can do and cannot do inside Thailand. 80% of the uh, uh, migrant workers in Thailand are from Myanmar, and then there are some more from Cambodia and then also Laos. So, so these are the countries that uh, they are coming under this uh, special arrangement of MOU. And uh, uh, there is no uh, 
official figure on the number of migrant children in Thailand because they're not supposed to be here. Uh, so uh, that's why government does not have official figure of the number of migrant children. But then, then some studies here shows that something like 300 to 400,000 migrant children are uh, in, in Thailand. Uh, and then uh, some are stateless because they're born here, they're not registered and they become stateless uh, at the same time. So uh, so these are, uh, so it's, it's it's uh, a considerable number of children are also uh, uh, living inside Thailand. Uh, the next uh, next uh, one shows its internal migration in Cambodia, so from the rural area to Phnom Penh. But then, then uh, for those kind of migrants, also only 20% of the migrants would leave the children back home, meaning that majority of the migrants will bring the children. So there is so as you can see here, there's a big myth that uh, migrant workers will leave their children back home. They don't. They will bring most of the people will bring their children with them. So what I want, so in our study in this region, uh, in the region that we're studying, we identified around 10 uh, arrangements, childcare arrangements done by migrant workers. So, so this is what I would like to kind of look at uh, in, the, in this presentation. So, uh, so first of all, Child care by migrant herself. This is actually quite, quite, um, uh, quite a lot of people do this, uh, and then because, uh, uh, especially when women do not have anybody else uh, uh, to to rely on, so they do not um, have any relatives or they do not have money to hire people. So if they don't have anybody, they would or or they kind of feel that this is my responsibility. And then, so these kind of pressures would shape, would push them to take care of the children by themselves. And then, if this is the case, they might have to quit the job. Once they quit the job, and then uh, even if they were earning a little bit more, even for migrant workers, they do have some kind of promotion. Once you quit the job, regardless of your experience, you start from zero. So, so that means that once you quit the job after having children, and then all the experience that they accumulated is going to be erased. So, you can. Uh, so, it is a big. Uh, draw, uh, what's it, uh, drawback for for migrant uh, for migrant workers to to retreat and then uh, uh, for for child care purposes. Uh, many migrants are not entitled to maternity leave, and um, so sometimes they are able to rely on friends and and others, but then then that's very very rare, uh, and then um, so. So, or they have to change to lower paying work, uh, lower paying job in order to balance the childcare or they bring the children to work. So you can see here in the photo, this is a child is living, the, uh, is staying there while the mother is working as uh, in, uh, uh, in the sewing factory in the same premise. So uh, it's a kind of a self-made uh, nursery that uh, she, she creates in the, in the factory. So some factory allow this, some factory don't. So, uh, so this is one way that uh, the child care is being managed. Another way is that child care is managed by the husband at the place of destination. Also because that, um, uh, uh, in the place of destination, women, it's easier for women to get some kind of a job. 
Yeah, because women do not mind lower paying jobs, so they do get some of the kind of job. Whereas for men, sometimes it's more difficult to get regular job. Uh, so and then so husband will stay at home and look after children. So that's that kind of uh, a child care situation is also there or they bring somebody from the place of origin to look after children. So like this photo shows that uh, the, this work, worker have brought her mother to come and stay with her uh, and then uh, so that she can take care of the children. The mother was actually very unhappy that uh, the, to, work, to stay in this very cramped uh, migration, uh, migrant uh, housing, but then, then uh, she was kind of sacrificing for the daughter. But then, uh, so, so, uh, but then, then this kind of thing is quite difficult to do it in the uh, in the capital where the police surveillance is much more harsher because uh, they cannot just get away with it. They have to, um, um, uh, they um, they have to comply with the law, which does not allow these kind of relatives to come and stay. Yeah, because only workers are able to get visa. So, uh, so these are, uh, and then also it's very difficult to bring these people back fr uh, from the place of origin because in this region there's a big uh, labor shortage everywhere. So, uh, uh, so by bringing these uh, these people from the, the place of origin, that means that they do not have enough people to work on the farm, so they will have problems. So that's why it's not that easy to just bring somebody from the place of origin. Some, uh, some, some people will, um, will hire people to, uh, to look after children. So, uh, uh, so this is very difficult because like you can see here, uh, um, sometimes they have to pay like half to one third of their income for childcare. So, and then why, what are you doing for? Yes, because you have to also remit back home and you have to pay for childcare. So this become a very unsustainable kind of a situation where they are not able to um, um, bring their, um, um uh, yeah, uh, 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 sorry um uh, 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 do their uh, 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 have their children uh, hire somebody to look after the children or there is this um, uh, sometimes you have this uh, leaving the the children uh, alone at home so that is also um, uh, also there because sometimes they bring the child they have to go back to go to work and then uh, but and then what to, uh, and then they, they cannot find anybody to look after the children uh, the last resort is that leave the children at home but then, then there are this kind of, because they live in a housing area where it's not very secure. There are fire, there's abductions, there's this and that. So, uh, uh, so it's it's quite dangerous actually to do this. But then, then uh, some people do not have any choice, so they also do that uh, do that as well. Wait, sorry. Yeah, so you can see here, there's this quote from uh, uh, Tida Kim's study uh, that uh, they are worried uh, when they have to leave the children uh, alone uh, at home. But then they do not have a choice because uh, um, uh, 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 both, of, both husband and wife work. There's also cases where they leave the child in the place of origin with the husband. So the husband is, is yeah, it stays at the place of origin, and the, uh, only the woman come to work at the, uh, at the, in Thailand uh, for for garment workers as garment work. But 
But then, then uh, the problem is, often happens is that the husband cannot handle childcare alone. So in the end, what uh, they, she started to do is that he would just leave the child with somebody else and then comes and follow the wife. So uh, uh, especially this happens for Cambodians. So that's why we see a lot of Cambodians coming in couples. They are not uh, able to leave the child. Uh, the husbands have difficulty taking care of child alone. So uh, uh, we have seen a lot of cases where, I mean, some cases, they do like this, but then, then it doesn't last for a long time. There are also some cases where they leave the child in a place of origin with other female relatives, like mothers or grandmothers. So this is a very popular, or like everybody thinks that this is a case that uh, happened more often, but it doesn't uh, happen more often, but then, then still it is quite a popular case. Um, the problem is that it's not something that is very, very rosy in a sense that um, um, uh, if you leave your child with somebody and then you have the obligation to remit, you cannot just say that, oh, I'm not going to remit, I'm just having yeah, my, my work uh, house, uh, life here. Yeah, there's an obligation to remit because you're asking, so it's like hiring your relatives to look after your child, even if it's your own mother. So, uh, and then, so it also become a very help, uh, heavy workload for grandmothers because there's a lot of grandmothers who looked after children of several daughters. And then, uh, and then, so there were some grandmothers who were looking after six or eight uh, grandchildren alone. So it's it become a lot of problems. So we had several uh, women who were at first uh, leaving the child at home, but then, then uh, she, and then she have to remit, but then, then her income started to drop so she could not remit anymore. And then she started to hear that her children was not being fed very, uh, very well because she's not being able to remit. So she have to bring the child to live with her and uh, to take care of uh, the child herself because uh, um, uh, otherwise uh, she was uh, thinking that her children would not be, be fed. So when the child came to, to stay with her, the ch children were already malnourished. So you can see here how, yeah, so this doesn't become a very rosy uh, childcare arrangement because there's a very severe relationship of reciprocity that is there, uh, that is behind this um, kind of arrangement as well. Um, so um, uh, there are also cases where uh, the uh, the migrant worker leave the child with not with relatives but others. Like for example, in the temple. So we had um, uh, in Myanmar. There's one temple which is near the Thai border, and then so when the woman comes and then try to go, come to work in Thailand, she kind of keep the child with the monk and then come to work in in Thailand. So uh, so some. So the, the monk says, and it's not deserting, that it's not deserting the child, but then, then it almost become like a deserting the child because the monk never receives any remittances from the, the mother. But then, then what happens is that the child is with the monk until the child reaches a kind of working age. And then the mother comes to pick up the child and then go to Thailand together so that the child can also work and earn. So, uh, so there are childcare that is very severely looking at children as a source of, of labor. So, uh, uh, so, uh, so these are also another way of childcare. 
Uh, there's also cases where children are left alone at the place of origin. So both husband and wife go to, um, uh, to, to Thailand to work, but in, then uh, they don't have any relatives or grandfather or grandmother to, to look after children. So what they do is that they kind of uh, leave the children um, at home. So maybe the eldest might be in the primary school and uh, the younger is might be like pre-primary uh, pre school, preschool. And then so they kind of live together uh, by, by themselves. So, uh, so the community people kind of keep an eye on these children, but then, then of course they do not take responsibility. So again, children kind of take responsibility by themselves. So, so these, there are, I mean, for those parents who really don't have any option and then this kind of leaving alone and then letting the children taking care of themselves also becomes an option for, for them. Or child care uh, uh, in the daycare centers. Actually, labor law in Cambodia and Myanmar stipulates that factories have to have daycare centers. So it is, uh, so it is against the law if you don't have one. So everybody have to have one. So, but then, then if you go to a factory and then we ask them, okay, where is your, your daycare centers? And they do have a small kind of very, very tiny room with one sofa or something. Nobody uses it, that, uh, you, nobody uses it. And then the work, uh, the, the, the owner says that, well, we don't, nobody says that they want to have, uh, they want to use the uh, nursery. So that's why uh, it's not being used even though we have. So, you see here, there's a kind of a uh, uh, chicken and egg kind of problem that nobody is bringing. It's, it's such a very bad uh, service that is there. So that's why nobody wants to bring the child. And then nobody brings the child. So that's why the employer says that nobody wants to use. So, and then it's never get improved. So, so that's how uh, the, uh, it never gets, uh, gets to be used. So this law is there, but then, then it never gets used. Also, even when there's a daycare center and then uh, migrant workers are able to send the children there, but then, then many of the work that migrant workers do are very irregular. For example, fishing workers. Fisheries workers work in a very odd hours, like three o'clock to eight, 10 o'clock a.m. So uh, it's, it's at night, yeah, it's, it's the middle of the night. And then by the time the daycare opens, the parents are already back home. So. So it's, it's, there is no way that, uh, there's no sense in uh, bringing the child to the daycare centers because the parents are already there at home. So, uh, uh, so daycare centers, uh, nine, to, uh, nine to five, nine to six kind of daycare centers does not meet the needs of the many of the migrant workers. Uh, also, uh, daycare centers can be high fee. So uh, um, uh, some uh, migrant workers are not able to, 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 uh, to, to send. So you can see here again another quote, which shows that the factory workers think that it's it's hopeless and the employers would not have any willingness to have this kind of a daycare center. So uh, so it's the the options that uh, migrant workers have can be quite limited. Also, it also depends on how much they are able to negotiate with the employer. And then uh, 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 negotiation with the employer can be also very difficult, especially because migrant workers cannot form labor unions. So, uh, uh, so uh, without the union, it's very difficult to, to, uh, to discuss with the employers. 
So this one just is a repeat of what I was just saying, but then, then I just wanted to share with you with numbers. Uh, you can see, so this uh, study in the 2013 shows that, again, shows different kinds of childcare patterns. And depending on the location, you can see here that the patterns are very different. Yeah, so for example, Sri Bogoda Pass is a border area between Thailand and uh, Myanmar, but then, then it's very easy to go back and forth between Myanmar and Thailand. So the so many people actually commute to Thailand in order to work in Thailand. So that's why you have a lot of people who take care of themselves, take care of the children by themselves, because like when the child is small, they stay in the Burmese side, and then uh, and then when they can afford, they can start they start to come to to Thailand. So that's why you see more people who are taking care of them by themselves. But then uh, for, uh, but then you, and then you can see here that, that in Bangkok, there is very few people who, uh, 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 who uh, would um, um, take, uh, uh, you can see here that there are more people who have a paid caretaker in Mesot because Mesot have a large uh, migration, migrant community. So that's why it's much easier to find some elderly woman who might be able to take care of the children with the affordable price. So that's why you do get people who can do that in, in Mesot. But then, then that does not happen in Bangkok because like that's too, it will be too expensive in Bangkok. Yeah, so, um, um, yeah, and then in Bangkok, it's very difficult to bring anybody to have any kind of other kind of uh, options. So the only option that they have is to bring their, send their children back home. So this one also the same. Tilawa is Myanmar, Phnom Penh is Cambodia, Manhattan is also Cambodia, Thak is Thailand. Again, you can see here that um, uh, the uh, uh, migrant workers do not really depend. It's very much onto them. The child care is very much onto the workers. And then not so many people, except, except for Phnom Penh, uh, not so many people would depend even to their mothers in order to do child care. So uh, with this, um, um, uh, my, the conclusion is that I want to bring here is that uh, uh, this very heavy responsibility of childcare, which is solely on women. So it's, it's very, so uh, women make all the decisions, but then, then the responsibility is also on women. So uh, uh, it's nothing empower, uh, empowerment about this and it's just pure responsibility, pure burden for women to, to think about what to do with childcare. And then see, by looking at this variety of childcare, what we see is that uh, uh, the uh, childcare arrangement is not very simple. Yeah, so uh, uh, it's, not, it's, it's, it's very difficult to find somebody that women can actually delegate yeah, childcare. So it, uh, it's uh, this complicated um, uh, uh, power relations that she have, what kind of resources they have, for, uh, she, has, uh, she, uh, she has access to, shapes what kind of options she will be able to have in order to do her childcare arrangement. And then even with, the ch uh, with all these options, it's the, it really doesn't change the division of labor. The division of labor that women are basic child caretakers really doesn't change. So it's it's very it's a very very sticky issues that uh, that we have we can see here in uh, when we try to 
to, to list down all the childcare arrangement, still the responsibility lies on, on women. So when we want to come up with the childcare support for migrant women, it's not very, it's not that simple that, okay, let us have a, a crash or let us have maternity leave. And then, so that can be kind of one, uh, uh, one option, but then, then you can, we can see here that that actually does not really meet the, uh, the, the needs of, of migrant workers' childcare arrangement. So because the childcare arrangement is decided because by this, how, what kind of expectations women are living through, uh, what kind of uh, values that they might have, what kind of identities that they have, identity as mothers and workers and daughters. And then, and then because of that sense of identity, she also decides on certain childcare arrangement or the expectation that they think, she, she, she thinks that she is expected to do uh, in her economic situation, what other people around her is doing. So all of these kind of things shapes the kind of childcare arrangements. It's not something that is so simple. So by analyzing childcare arrangement, we will also be able to have better understanding of uh, how women view themselves and what options they think they have and the resource that they have both tangible and intangible. So, uh, so that when we want to, so the employers, yeah, the, the, the support from the employers is not only about crashes and all that, but then, then it's really working condition, housing, their legal status, yeah, and, uh, and all that have to all come into, uh, into the, the scope in order to develop a viable uh, support system for migrant workers. Uh, so this presentation is based on uh, this um, uh, this uh, book in chapter. So uh, for more information, uh, it's also there. Thank you very much. Um, thank you, Professor Kyoko, for that uh, very enlightening presentation. Um, I now invite Professor Goon Kilkar, our chair for Horima. Um, Govind ma'am, uh, I would suggest that we go to the other discussants and speakers, and then I would come uh, on to uh, sum up. Hmm? Okay, all right. Uh, so then we would go to our discussants. Um, we have, sorry, we have uh, our first discussant, Professor Babu P. Ramesh. He is Professor and Dean at the School of Development Studies and also the director uh, at the Center for Research Methods at Ambedkar University, Delhi. So over to you. Thanks a lot, Professor uh, Kyoko, because this was a very, am I audible? Yes, you are. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was a very interesting uh, presentation and I am very happy to know about this uh, social reproduction aspects of uh, women workers. And uh, uh, frankly speaking, I haven't worked on this area. I, though I have worked on migration-related things, probably this childcare-related aspects so far I haven't looked into. So for me, it's a kind of it was a kind of learning, and I could get a sense of the situation from your vivid uh, presentation. Thanks for that. 
but uh, at the same time i was also thinking that like probably i can add certain supplementary points to like what you have already explained from the other south asian countries for instance i want to uh, bring uh, one dimension uh, for instance uh, uh, when you were explaining though you have been told it uh, very explicitly you have been very strongly suggesting that it is uh, patriarchal norms that govern this entire story and there are uh, like uh, uh, we can see that the uh, patriarchal norms are governing this uh, uh, entire migration scenario where women's movement and women's decision making all these things are controlled by societal norms and familial norms and community is entering directly or uh, or visibly or silently like there is a kind of a community decision or the policy framework is also designed in such a way that women's mobility things are decided as per patriarchal norms i could suggest i could uh, i am thinking about um, a particular uh, system that is prevalent in uh, like that was introduced in uh, sri lanka recently there is a family background report system in that family background report system there is a stipulation that those women who want to migrate they have to get a clearance from a local officer who will ensure that there is there is a person to take care of child care Uh, requirements of the family then only women will get a kind of a clearance and sri lanka you know that uh, compared to other south asian countries sri lanka uh, is a country where women are in international migration women outnumber men and uh, there is uh, there are lots of women who are into the stream of international migration so introduction of a family background system brings a kind of a Uh, hindrance or a kind of a restriction that women cannot freely migrate so in certain situations we can see that in india bangladesh pakistan uh, not, not in pakistan i am pakistan and afghanistan we can see that women's migration international migration is not that uh, high in terms of number or proportion because the patriarchal controls are very strong in other countries including india bangladesh and uh, uh, like nepal and sri lanka what we could see that uh, there are restrictions imposed by the government at uh, the state in terms of like in certain sectors women can participate in migration or if women are migrating for certain jobs that is fine if they are going for certain other jobs it is not good or there is a age restriction introduction of age restriction so all these things we can clearly see that it is a kind of like a patriarchal control that governs the situation so i just thought that like uh, adding this particular aspect maybe like uh, probably you can see that there may be similar situations uh, you, you may be i would like to know from you that whether within the uh, policies can you sense that there is this kind of restrictions which are injected by certain vested by traditional orthodox interests that is one 
another aspect which i would like to of course uh, everyone will be interested to know that thing like during this particular pandemic period what was happening to each of these systems because uh, you are telling that it is obligatory from the part of women to send money back home whereas uh, during the pandemic probably they may not be able to send money back home and they may not be even able to meet their own expenses you can see that in india and several other countries though lots of exodus of migrant workers happened during lockdown and all relatively relatively women's presence in these kind of groups was were very less for instance we had instances in borders and near railway stations where lots of people were coming out and protesting and all women were not there relatively women's number was less and that it doesn't mean that women are not working as migrants it means that women do not have that kind of a mobility compared to men so because of this mobility control they may be forced to work in certain kind of restricted situations they will be working you could also see that when there is a policy level control on women i was talking about the earlier system there we could see that those people those women who are aspiring to aspiring to uh, move out to other countries uh, for work if there is a restriction what will happen is that it will also lead to undocumented migration or it will also lead to illegal migration and when they are taking undocumented migration as a kind of a path obviously they will be falling prey prey to many other uh, exploitative situations so i just thought that uh, it's not like questions i was trying to add some more dimensions and i was also trying to know whether you have certain things to uh, give on these kind of uh, aspects and i am sure that there are other uh, discussions and they will also be having many other very valid points so i am not taking much time thanks a lot it was a very good presentation and it was a very good informative presentation which at least i got lots of dimensions related to social reproduction and child care from your very clear presentation thanks a lot thank you thank you uh, professor ramesh uh, we now have a second discussant professor ritu agarwal uh, she is an associate professor at the center for east asian studies in the school of international studies at jawaharlal nehru university jnu delhi ma'am over to you thank you very much and uh, you know it follows uh, some of the important points which recently professor babu ke ramesh has uh, you know talked about see i must say that professor kayoko it was very insightful you know uh, presentation where i really came to know some of the fascinating aspects of uh, you know the way you describe the women's lives uh, in the in the countries where they are migrating to uh, and what are the kind of challenges they are facing you know something which i was very uh, very intrigued and very interesting to know more about you is this whole idea of a Uh, great mukhong sub region because i myself uh, and i'm sure professor kilkar also has lot of things to add in that 
you know, Yunnan, we, we are actually, I was going for quite some time. And, you know, this whole issue of these borders, that, you know, how uh, in one case, all these neighboring countries, in a way, create a sense of flexibilities in the sense that because they have this kind of labor arrangements where they need a huge uh, labor force and which is available in the nearby neighboring countries. And they make this arrangement of flexibilities where all this labor force can come in and work in this uh, factory regime, which you're talking about the garment factories in this th in Thailand, especially. And then in other kind of a, uh, you know, sections, for example, in terms of a childcare, in terms of, you know, their uh, staying and housing and other kind of a citizenship. I mean, if you talk about citizenship also, uh, there is a kind of a silence uh, from the state. So, you know, uh, they use this kind of a peripheries. I mean, this Mekong sub-region has been talked about as a kind of a, you know, the border peripheries. And I'm sure many of, uh, you know, people have, I was recently reading about a, you know, reading a book by, uh, you know, very in interesting scholar talking about the art of neighboring where, you know, uh, especially in case of uh, Chinese border areas, where China is trying to create a uh, yet another space uh, which looks different from the border areas. But that was a kind of a different discussion. But here, what I you know, found very intrigued, which you talked about, is that on the one hand, you have this governance, border governance, where you create a kind of flexibilities because you need, you need labor force to come into this uh, factory regime. And then on some of the issues, you remain completely silent because you don't want uh, state doesn't want to, you know, address all these issues. So there's a uh, spaces which are created by the state, and then there are spaces which are non-state. So and then that's where the women fit in. So the migrant woman uh, is a kind of a situation where you get in because the state has created those space for you. You work for that, and then uh, certain spaces where you have to you have to be on your own. So you know that this is the you know first question which I thought that. Uh, very interestingly, you you uh, you know talk, you have taken this particular country's uh, you know case studies and that too a series of you know years of field work which you have conducted in these areas, and uh, so I was just thinking that for example you are saying that there are some situation where a woman can go back, so you have this you know uh, flexibility of going back and forth same day, and you can take care of children, so that becomes easier. But there are situations where you have to either bring your children uh, to the countries where then you have to arrange the childcare or otherwise you leave them behind. So this is a one aspect you know, which uh, I thought that there's something called border peripheries and bordering uh, you know, this particular concept maybe has a special role to play in this migration uh, story which you are talking about in this presentation. Second thing uh, which I thought uh, will be interesting to you know, uh, think about, for example, in China, uh, migration has been mainly ruler to urban phenomenon. And of course, there, are, there is a kind of interprovincial migration as well. So, and there's a particular concept we use for this migrant population. Of course, people have talked about sojourners and then they talked about Nung Min Kung, for example, you know, the agriculture workers, which has actually trying to move to the cities. So there's a, this concept of uh, uh, phenomenon of migration. And of course, there's a huge idea of left behind children. And something the Chinese state, uh, you know, doesn't want to talk about much. So there is also this idea of millions of children who are left behind in the Chinese villages for the, for the grandparents to take care of them and then wait for the spring festival, which is Chinese New Year, to 
for their parents to look at them after a year or so. So this has been a kind of a, you know, a lot of psychological as well as emotional stress. So what I want you to look at also, you know, the kind of psychological and the emotional stress on children who basically miss their parents uh, a lot and in the, in the impact it has on their upbringing and, you know, later on in their life. Because I remember even my Chinese parents, sometimes they say that they, they were in their, in their generation where, they, where the parents have moved out for the better, better kind of a greener pastures. And they were just left behind uh, longing for their parents uh, for long and then created a kind of emotional deprivation, which has, has impact on their uh, you know, upbringing in the years to come as well. So what happened to this emotional loss, which these families are paying in a big way? So I think, uh, uh, and then third is that the kind of new actors you bring in, for example, the, the role of uh, you know, monasteries or the role of a monk, which you talked about, temples or the kind of you know religious setup uh, which these countries have created or maybe it's, in, it's, a, it's a kind of it was there so in the sense you know this you know the uh, kind of uh, housing arrangements which they have made and where there's always a fear of uh, police surveillance which you talked about a bit for the migrant population and then somewhere they're looking for an alternative arrangement so what about uh, you know this kind of uh, alternative arrangements is this something that uh, migrant population is not able to create, um, you know, of their own, uh, of this um, arrangement of their own in this kind of a destination countries? Or is it something which, uh, uh, you know, they are in a way, in a way, uh, you know, not able to create new, but in a way using, which was there uh, with a, some kind of arrangements uh, of negotiation, which can actually take care of their children so that they can work in their, in their place. So this is a you know third thing which I I wanted you to you know just elaborate if 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 possible, and uh, last maybe uh, you know uh, that uh, very fascinating because I was you know so much uh, taken taken you know taken by so much of you know the kind of uh, description as well as the kind of details given about your field work, uh, the whole um, you know the way you talked about as a distance mothering. Yeah, so the, the concept you have used is that, uh, uh, you know, um, I think I have written somewhere. Yeah, so basically it's a distance motherhood. Yeah, so this is something which also, I think most of these countries which are uh, going through this migration had to grapple with this idea of that, how motherhood is, motherhood is possible in a distant kind of a situation where you have no other alternative but to go for migration. So I think I'll stop here and uh, wait for the others also to speak. Uh, thank you, Professor Agarwal. Um, uh, Professor Kelkar, if you would like to come in now. Okay, thank you. Uh, um, Ma'am, your video is off? Yeah. Okay. Yes, okay. No, I enjoyed very much, although I have not worked on migration as such, but uh, it was really very, very detailed and fascinating study. And uh, also, uh, I mean, uh, can I call Professor Kyoko as Kyoko? Because I have known her for a number of years <laughs> during my AIT days, so got used to calling her Kyoko. So uh, just, so that is what uh, I would use. So Kyoko's presentation was really on the kind of thing that was the that how in what kind of conditions women are working hmm? 
and both children i mean that child care facilities has become the responsibility of women whether they are within the house or they are outside the house so the fundamental aspect was that as she pointed out very well the division of labor doesn't change it is considered the sole kind of responsibility of women uh, even if they are working for the family and they are earning money and supporting the family so that is that comes out very well i was also thinking i am in couple of uh, garment industry violence within garment industry i have been i am an advisor and what uh, kind of sexual harassment in garment industry by supervisors is enormous and it is considered i think throughout the region and sri lanka may be not may not be excluded also also i have not looked at sri lanka where it is considered a part of efficiency so men are abused women are sexually abused by the supervisors in order to make them agile make them efficient not allowing them to rest or using the washrooms etc under these conditions of work and then there over the question is the heavy responsibility of child care on women how to arrange this and how to uh, what to do about it what i wanted kyoko uh, to address in particular that uh, you say that it is the what options women might have is need support from the employers only support from employers okay what about the state because the market is responsible where the employers are there and i am i'm glad that you have asked really the otherwise a lot of us just uh, not me but many of my colleagues and working in this area they think that the state is responsible only for this kind of child care but uh, un system also has been talking of the three years redistribution reorganizing reducing this work so whether the uh, other kind of factors also come in a state in particular because it is they, they are the it is their duty huh, to do this kind of thing <clears throat> so state and sharing of the work responsibility of men by this kind of sharing the responsibility because what comes in many number of cases if not uh, kind of in all cases even when men are not working the child care is given to someone else to another woman or to another kind of uh, actor so, so i was thinking that if this is this follow up the bit professor babu said that how the social reproduction is to be arranged eh, that you brought out very well if that is there but this un resolution that comes or analysis of the feminist analysis of the un resolution comes that what to do with the care work to be recognized and kind of uh, and also to it should be redistributed between two uh, men and women and that becomes very very important uh about uh, professor agrawal's uh, ritu's uh, suggestions uh, in terms of psychological and emotional stresses on left behind children i mean there have been china has this fascinating view now left behind women left behind children and that has kind of become a phrase kind of thing but aren't these psychological and emotional stresses not only on left behind children there are other children also because the whole kind of that you raise children in a kind of in an isolated state uh, that is that is becoming i don't know whether if we study africa a child care in africa there may be kind of mothering where mothering is distributed 
So aunt would be there who will look after the children. So, uh, and uh, someone sister will be there that will look after the children. I, I, when I was in uniform, I happened to go to Kerala for on some project. Looking that, that there is high migration of women uh, going to Middle East and how do, do they arrange childcare? And there is very heavy drinking of men at that time there was, um, I still hear the report, but uh, at that time particularly noticed. What they did that women divided the childcare between two sisters or three sisters. So one sister would go for three years and all the children would be looked by the other sister or the cousin sister, one of with whom they were close. And then she will come back after three years, she will send the money. And then that sister would go and her children would be looked by the, uh, the other person and she would take responsibility for two to three years, whatever the amount of period. And when I discussed with them, they said, I said, what about the, your husband, what does he do? And then they say, oh, he's a casual worker. But he was nowhere in the list of the child care. That is the, and women's trust, where they did not even grumble kind of thing. They made this arrangement. Then I happened to ask them a question that how do you look at your mother? And then children really started saying that, um, oh, mother is one who raises us, who does everything. He, she feeds us, she's, uh, she's like, uh, she's mother. I mean, that was it. So what about your father and the father, what they said, which I still remember very vividly, even after 12 years, my mother is, uh, father is like a ATM machine. So I said, what do you mean ATM machine? That he gives money, but he had nothing to do with us. And then the other child, and this was the eight year or nine year old boy who was saying this, but they didn't look at the kind of, so it is, it is not really emotional stress on children, but it is also emotional dis displacement of men not being involved in the family and which really leads to other kind of things. So it is a part of a social system that is being destroyed by this kind of arrangement. Of course, one could say that poverty is the factor which leading to it, well, this is true, but I'm just saying where is the right and the, how the migrant live and what they do and what kind of arrangement is there. So we, we probably, we look at only in terms of childcare, which has been very focused attention and very, very well uh, kind of analyzed in very detail. But this is aspect also need to be looked at when we are dealing with the migration. That um, uncaring uh, distance, distant men are also being, uh, created by the system who really don't have any living in itemized in silos not relating to family and all this that would be the uh, that would be the structure uh, the, of the new social system that is happening as a result of that so this these are the few questions that are coming to my mind not only questions but after thoughts uh, in terms of that uh, how why it is now unpaid care and the recognition of this kind of care work, unpaid care work has, or social reproduction has become important. And what is the relationship between production and social reproduction? That is also very well uh, brought out. That is, the, that is what my understanding uh, came up. Thank you very much, uh, Kyoko. And Professor Babu and Professor Ritu Agrawal. Thank you, Professor Kilkar. Uh, it's over to you, Professor Kyoko, to respond to these uh, remarks. 
Uh, maybe I go come backwards. Yeah. So uh, from uh, uh, starting from uh, Professor Kelka's uh, comment on the this men detach men displace men because I think this is very uh, very uh, a very important insight. Uh, because like in, uh, in, among the migrant workers, that's what the, the, they will also say, that daughters, even when they get married, they will still continue to remit. So they are still daughters. But then their sons, once they get married, they become somebody else. So they do not remit anymore. So the relationship gets uh, cut with uh, different kind of relationships. So men's relationship gets cut very easily compared to that of women. Yes, women for women, uh, the, the responsibility is very heavy and this and that, but then, then at the same time, the relationship kind of lingers everywhere. So that can also be a responsibility. It's all, most of the time it's responsibility, but it's also kind of a continuing, enduring kind of a relationship. Because I think this is very important because, if, for example, if I look back to Japan, uh, men are the ones who go, become homeless. They, do, they cannot sustain relations. They, become, they do not become fathers. They do not become husbands much easier than, than women. Yeah, because um, uh, so the, 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 this uh, detachedness, displacement of men is, is actually a very alarming issue, which I think uh, not so many people have uh, really talked about. And then I think what Dr. Kelka was talking about in this, um, uh, this men's detachment is a very important insight when we look at child care and also relationship of women and men as, as well. So uh, that's, uh, uh, and then also this issue of, uh, uh, so how, how care work should uh, uh, should be done, and then how um uh, yeah so no so okay um and then I want to go to this issue of border, which uh, Dr. Litu Agawa have um uh, have mentioned. I think that's very important because actually this whole research started because of the border, because we also see that border is a very interesting place where the state power is kind of a a little bit murky because uh, the state surveillance is much stronger in capital area and then more in the central area, but in the border fringes, the state control become a little bit loose except for the border in and out. So other than that, the, the norms and the state control is much less. And then that's where we also find that in the border area, the gender norms can be a little bit more, a uh, little bit loose than other places. So that's where we also see that uh, the childcare in border areas, they have more option because the gender norms and state surveillance is less. So that's why they can come up with various kinds of uh, childcare arrangement and then uh, uh, that is allowed. Whereas in the capital area, that is not allowed. So, so that's what that's very important to note because uh, if we look at what kind of options they have, we also can see how loose the gender norms, how much they are able to challenge gender norms. And then that's very an interesting area in terms of the, the border perspective uh, as, as well. So um, uh, in terms of the psychological pressure, um, 
Uh, I think this also this is also very important. Yeah, the the um the left behind children, left behind women. So so, but then then what we also hear is the left behind grandmothers' psychological pressure because of the because everything is now dumped to, uh, to the grandmothers, and grandmother thinks that this is their role to take care of everybody. So uh, uh actually, it's also very much um, uh, that kind of role uh, that uh, is, is often not highlighted, uh, but then, then it's very much uh, something that also contributes to the left behind children's well-being uh, is, is also this grandmother's psychological pressure and then also financial pressure as, as well. Uh, um, so uh, I, th I think there was also some chat and uh, questions that about this monastery, how this monastery work. Um, again, this monastery that I was talking about that uh, they, they leave the children there is at the border. It's not at the center area. So the center area, again, there's a lot of state surveillance. So this kind of alternative childcare is very difficult to, to, to develop. So, but in the border area, we do see like this kind of a different arrangement by the community, by the group of people and by the monastery to, to take care. So, but then, then this is not, a, 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 this is not open. So that means that they don't get any state support. So state kind of totally neglects this kind of issues. And then it's, so that's why it is done, done by the monastery. So uh, uh, again, what it goes back to what Dr. Kyoko was saying about what about the state? Yeah, what about the, not only the employers, but what about the state? Yeah, so, so, uh, uh, so in one sense, migrant workers um, are very, uh, um, are, are able to manage by using this kind of resources. So that's where the state kind of think, washes their hands and say that it's being taken care of. Actually, it's not being taken care of, but then, then uh, because women are, are stepping up to do something because I mean, they cannot just leave the children to, to, to be on the streets. So that's why they do something. So that's why the state says that even the government, I think it was also in the chat, the gov Thai government thinks that childcare we are okay because like uh, we have a very Asian have a very Asians have a very good tradition that the the uh, the grandmother will look after children yeah but then, then that does not happen that does not happen in most of the case so that is where we also wanted to highlight that uh, there's a myth that just because women are able to manage does not mean that there's no problem around here so um, uh, I think, and then I th uh, thank you very much also for Dr. Ramesh for, for this in, uh, important issue about the patriarchal norms. Yes, it is, it is basically patriarchal norms that put everything a woman and then which this internalized patriarchal norms that uh, a woman have, which kind of perpetuate also this kind of arrangement that happens uh, that it's all women's um, uh, responsibility. And uh, uh, so, um, uh, so this, uh, um, uh, so, uh, uh, so this uh, uh, mobility control. Mobility control is also there for for uh, for uh, migrant workers in Thailand as well, but not in to the extent of South uh, South, uh, South South Asian women. Uh, but then, then there immobility is more in the sense of they cannot hide away or they cannot run away from uh, their family or the society. So it's they can move around physically, but then, then they cannot kind of disappear. They will kind of be uh, followed. 
So they are kind of their, their whereabouts and what they're doing is reported. Whereas men, that doesn't happen. Yeah, but then, then for women, it is that she's working here, she's working there, she's, with, she's now with this man, that man. So that all these kind of things are being reported back home. So that kind of uh, control over women's uh, 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 my, uh, mobility is still very much there. And that is the reason why women are forced to remit because they, people back home know where she is, what she's, uh, how much she's earning and everything. So that's why they are kind of, they still feel obliged to, to remit. Whereas men, sometimes they can just make themselves uh, non uh, uh, silent and uh, can get away with many, many things. So I think those are uh, very, uh, uh, some issues. Thank you very much. These were very, very insightful comments. Uh, thank, thank you, Professor Kyoko, for your response. Uh, I think we can go to everyone for another brief round of comments. And uh, then after that, we can take up the remaining questions from the audience. Uh, so starting with uh, Professor Ramesh, if no more comments, OK. Um, all right, uh, Professor Ritu Agarwal, would you like to come in? If you have any more comments, yes. Just uh, one small comment, because uh, Professor Kayok has been you know, talking about uh, people migrating from Myanmar to Thailand. So is there some particular ethnic community from Myanmar which you think is more in migration spree than others? And how these ethnic communities are able to uh, make a kind of a space for themselves in Thailand. So is there something ethnic dimensions to it as well? That's the only question. Uh, Govindam, do you have any more? No, I uh, just wanted to add a footnote kind of thing that uh, uh, I uh, looked at Sri Lanka um, in terms of the migrant households. And repeatedly, it was about 10 households, which are, again, it was part of that UNIFEM, UN Women Study that uh, in all these households, women complain that they sent remittances home with the instruction to their parents and to, to their brothers. So I'm talking of the, and in two cases, the husband, that their remittances, when they were sending, they should be deposited in their account. But women, these women, when they return, they complain that not only they were not deposited in their account, when they came back, then they found that there was a total control by the brothers or by if the father was active by the fathers. And they absolutely had nothing in their bank that they could support themselves. And when they complained, then there was a kind of quarrel and violence in a couple of cases that they need to go back. So there was tremendous pressure that you are earning this money, so why don't you go back, what are you doing here? You are wasting your time, you are lazing around. So this kind of, whether we call it, very strong patriarchal uh, uh, norms with regard to control over uh, finances also existed, uh, also exist there in this kind of remittances. Mobility, um, this is also a control on mobility. That, that there is an age factor, which you find in case of Nepal, in case of India also. And it is also a state is involved. So when a young woman goes outside to work situation, she's considered that she's a loose woman. She's going for sex, uh, sexual trafficking or sexual services. And when the woman goes about when she has got the two children, the kind of 
Okay, this is out. Then she, it is considered safe for her, but safe in the sense of the patriarchal norms. And these are the things also associated in which these migrant women are working. It is much more in South Asia than in probably um, that part of Southeast Asia, but it exists in Southeast Asia also to some extent. It is not free from that. Is that correct or not? That's what I wanted to, uh, I mean, refer to uh, as a sub-question to Kyoko. Thank you, ma'am. Uh, are there any comments from you, uh, Professor Ramesh? Or we can go to the question. Babu, sir, please unmute yourself. Sir, you are on mute. Yeah, you know, actually, I don't have any more points to discuss, but it was a very learning, it's a learning exercise. And I got several other dimensions also. And as Professor Kelker explained, it has lots of things to do, like how the society's uh, uh, value judgments that affects the policy and that brings in certain kinds of constraints for women's free mobility. And I'm sure that uh, probably like one point where I wanted more uh, details from you is about uh, what has happened during this COVID period. So probably like I asked, uh, because especially the systems which were thriving on women's remittances, what has happened to those systems? So probably like you may be in the second round, you may be telling about that thing. Because I am sure that in many cases, when women, if you see the remittances, women are the major remittance group. If women are getting certain kind of payments, a major portion of the payment will be going back to home. So that means they are the lifelines of the family in terms of sending money regularly. So if there is a stop, uh, if there is a kind of a uh, like a, a reduction in the flow, of remittances from women, that is going to have a major impact on the family. That's why we are telling uh, women's migration is much more crucial for the survival of families back home. So from that point of view, I would like to know from your, probably you must have done the study earlier. I know that it is up to 2018, 2006 to 2018, you have done the study. But after that also, you must be keeping an eye on what is happening. And you must have got some insights related to what is happening during this COVID period related to your study region and the subjects you have studied. So if you can just extend the discussion with certain kind of observations or insights that you have got, that will be really insightful. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Professor Ramesh. Uh, Professor Kyoko, uh, there are five or six questions. I will just read them out and you can choose to pick up the ones that you would like to address. Um, so uh, from Dr. Roshan Ara, Kashmir University, we have, um, he's asking, how are women in Thailand involved in unpaid work and how can we help the government frame the policies for childcare? Uh, then we have uh, a question on other platforms. Uh, one is Professor, Kyoko mentioned the mandate for daycare centers. It would be useful to understand the policy landscape for childcare in Thailand and Myanmar. Is the enforcement apparatus effective? And also how does women's migration affect outcomes for children? 
are there any international studies we can look at uh, then another question in q a is around uh, child prostitution in thailand and where are the challenges and what are your recommendations and what are the protection and regulations against this um, then we have questions from harbhajan uh, jeet singh who is asking uh, does rural to urban migration of families ensure better education for the children are there government policies in myanmar to provide midday meals to poor children in government schools and also how much does religion impact the upbringing of children in these two countries what is the status of nutrition and does the government come to a rescue in both countries um and uh, then there are also questions on uh, how uh, skill development and uh, jobs are ensured for uh, children who are dropping out from school uh, in these countries um what is the sort of social policy and support for migrant working women and uh, what can we learn from thailand and myanmar uh, uh, in this aspect especially uh, during the uh, pandemic and uh, considering the uh, the digital divide and uh, uh, inflation during the pandemic i mean all these aspects so these are the questions that have come up and uh, you can choose to respond to these along with the comments that have come up yeah over to you man thank you very much thank you very much for very very insightful questions and comments and really really appreciate and i'm really learning a lot uh, through this discussion as well uh first of all about the ethnicity of these migrant workers uh, many of them are burmans burmans are the majority the central area uh, uh ethnic group and uh, well, they come because they are the one who have more connection they have more money and who is more exposed so that's why they are able to come to to thailand not because of of other reasons so uh, uh so uh, uh ethnic ethnicity wise we have uh, there are more people who are in the central area other people who who are 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 coming for migration so it's not the most marginalized in Myanmar are coming the most marginalized in Myanmar are actually staying in Myanmar so that's one one thing uh about the remittances that uh, dr kelka have also mentioned it's it's very much i mean the the a case that professor kelka have uh, uh have um have described is also the case in many of the migrant workers in in thailand as well uh, uh they remit back home with some instruction but it's never never followed or like even the the saving that they had even before migration that was even uh, um used up so so it's really uh, uh they remit a lot but then then they do not really get anything um, uh for for themselves they don't have a, a very few control it's also very interesting to note that they say that women remit more but then then it's uh in terms of amount men actually remit more because uh, men's wages are higher however men remit in the first 3 years but then then after that they stop remitting whereas for women workers they remit less amount but forever so so that's why in the end of the day women remit much more so so this is so and then even uh for when the the crisis is is there a uh, women still continue to remit women even borrow money and remit 
Yeah, because uh, the interest rate in Thailand is lower than in Myanmar, so they will borrow money in Thailand and remit back home. So, uh, so that much commitment to remittances is also there, which is also uh, which is um, uh, quite make women very very vulnerable in that sense. So, so this also happened during COVID. Uh, COVID during COVID, many migrant workers have lost their. Um, um, lost their job, like garment factory industry have gone down 60% in terms of demand. So, so many people have, were, were either fired or whether they were kind of asked to stay home. So they, their income had drastically gone back, uh, gone down. So some, uh, 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 some people, some workers went back because actually Thailand was in COVID much earlier than the neighboring countries. So when Thailand was, got the first wave, everybody got scared and then they went back home to, uh, uh, so many people also went back home during that time. So, uh, um, but af afterwards, when, afterwards uh, uh, Thailand also do not have enough people. So uh, to, they needed work, migrant workers. So that's why they have, uh, they are now giving quite generous visa uh, provisions so that people can stay on. But in, in, anyway, many people have gone back home. Now, that is a problem as you just also mentioned because they do not have enough, in, they do not have the income, they do not have the remittances that they used to have before. And it's not, the, and then even back home, the economy have gone down because of COVID. So, so they are, so, uh, so this says, uh, situation have really given them double uh, impact in terms of uh, uh, their income because no remittances and uh, less uh, income back home and you have another person to 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 eat inside the house so so there's a lot of frictions actually uh, not really coming up very uh, very strongly but then then uh, we kind of hear here and there that it's um, there are a little bit of a kind of underlying conflict because of this economic difficulty. So um, in terms of safety, as Dr. Kyaka was also talking about of migrant workers, this is also a case in, 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 uh, in, for these Burmese migrant workers in Thailand as well, not as much as in South Asia, but still so. That is the reason why uh, women migrant workers do not go out at night so often as men migrant workers because of security issue. That is the reason why, even though we have more, in, even in places where we have more my, uh, women migrant workers, the deportation rate is much higher for men. So men get caught and get deported because they roam around everywhere. And then, so that's why they got caught by the police and they'll get deported. Whereas women don't move, move, uh, move around because of the security issue. So they don't get deported. So, so it's very clear in the statistics that uh, uh, the men do get caught and then get, uh, get deported. As for the education for, for children, uh, so the remittances are very important for education for children. Many of the migrant workers say that they do, they remit back home in order for their own children or their siblings' education. So uh, uh, so that is very important uh, 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 for, for, for Myanmar because Myanmar education is very expensive. So some migrant workers, they bring the children to Thailand because Thailand education is cheaper. And then uh, Thailand border area, the, again, because of the, the loose uh, uh, restrictions, the migrant workers' children can also go to school. They also have migrant schools. So that's, where, that's where, where they can learn even bilingual 
Burmese as well as Thai. So, and then even like English, because there are some uh, uh, foreign volunteers come to teach English. So, uh, so they, they kind of take that opportunity as well at the border area. So very interesting educational opportunity that is there. So some migrant workers take this opportunity to bring the children to Thailand to go to the uh, border, uh, border migrant uh, schools in, uh, 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 in Thailand. So, so that kind of thing is also there as well. Uh, in terms of child prostitution and uh, sex workers and all that, that is a big issue, especially for, for children who are born in Thailand and do not have any status. So, and then they become uh, stateless. They are not Burmese, they're not Thai, they do not have any ID card. These are very vulnerable uh, children who can be abducted, who can be traded, who can be trafficked very, very easily because there's there's no what uh, status they they're not supposed to exist so uh, so that so these are very big issue that um, is actually seems to be increasing because uh, uh, there is no um, government um, a policy to do something about these children so they are kind of left just like that. So, uh, so this is uh, this can be a very big issue in the future if something does not get uh, in introduced. Um, uh, the, uh, for, uh, for the um, uh, the daycare center, uh, so the unpaid work, the Thai government still have this idea that child care is is done very uh, managed very well by the family so it's it's not um, uh, it's not really inside their own um, um, uh, policy to do something about child care child care policy in Thailand or in Myanmar is very very weak so um, uh, they, it's not even in it's not even discussed so that is the, the kind of level of uh, uh, awareness that we have for child care. So that's where we also want to, to push uh, that the child care is actually not just a matter of taking care by the mothers. And then uh, it's something that is more important for the social structure uh, itself. Um, yeah, I think, um, um, yeah, and then the skill development for migrant workers, um, um, the, the, uh, the, so again, the, the migrant workers' children cannot go to school. It's very difficult for them to go to school. Uh, and then, um, uh, so they, they tend to, to drop out. And then also the, the parents also start to convince the children or force the children to start working or start earning after they become like 12 or 13 or 14 years old. So uh, uh, they tend to, to drop out. And then after they drop out, it's very difficult for them to get another chance for uh, skill development. Uh, there are NGOs who's trying to provide, uh, but then, then uh, uh, it's, it's very difficult to bring them back to school again. So uh, we do not have so far uh, in Thailand or in Cambodia or in Myanmar, we do not have um, a scheme where like migrant uh, workers or migrant worker children who dropped out of, of school can go back to school in through some kind of a skill development scheme. Yeah, yeah I think uh, that, that's it from my side. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, thank you, uh, Professor Kyoko, uh, for responding to so many uh, questions. Uh, thank you. So uh, there's uh, been a lot of discussion and I think uh, now we can go to Professor K 
Hekar to really remark on the way forward uh, in terms of this? Way forward. Yeah. Dr. Kyoko has been so comprehensive that uh, uh, it's amazing that uh, what, uh, how many dimensions have been covered, not only, only in terms of presentation, but uh, true question answers. Huh? That shows the kind of uh, knowledge all around kind of thing. I don't know one thing lingers uh, uh, within me and also probably uh, 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 it would be in the mind of all of us. How do we change these norms? What needs to be done to change these norms, which is the kind of um, norms need to be addressed, they need to be re-looked at, and we can no longer take the excuse, oh, this is a part of our culture, and that's why we are, we can't do much. And even the point of that uh, cultures change slowly and the change will come slowly. I mean, these are the things that have been talked about for centuries now, or at least for half a century. So I think we need in these all these studies, all these questions, where the norms have changed even a little bit. Hmm? Whether I gave the example of these uh, 10 households from Sri Lanka, but then I would look at, the, if I have to go now, I would really look at where the norms have changed, where women have asserted their role kind of thing. Because it was simmering of this kind of agency among women when they said, all my savings, all my resources are gone. Uh, or my instructions were not followed kind of thing. Now they, they were not in a position to set up a separate household or, uh, but it was a simmering of the agency. Now we really want to look forward for the, uh, for these examples where they have really expressed, not only expressed, where they have taken an action to assert their right. That um, So assertion of the rights is very, very important in terms of the agency that the, we need kind of, this is subject of another study, but that would be the important. It will be good for children, it would be good for women, and it would be good for men. Because the, the Professor Babu Ramesh, uh, <laughs> you said that women have to have so much responsibility. There is an effect on men also. I mean, they feel completely hopeless, uh, completely isolated kind of this thing. There is no one to rule, there is no one to take care of uh, this thing, and children are not re uh, relating to them. So this is the, we, we will build a nurturing society where men would also play their role. And I think uh, the addressing the norms would be very, very important. I also share the same view. I also <laughs> share the same view. I don't uh, tell them like we should not share it. Then I, I was telling what you are telling. Yes, that's right. No, no, I know you, you agree with me, but that is the kind of thing I'm saying, that it lingers in in our mind very much that how do we look at the examples of change? Because there has been some change. It's not that uh, nothing has changed, but we need more examples of change and uh, not only kind of uh, 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 look at the oppressive structures. That is the kind of thing that we need uh, for our future research. But I learned a lot and thank you so much. Uh, and um, uh, Ritu, Keoko, I mean, in one way or another, we have related to both of them for a long time. So that, that is one aspect being in AIT and enjoyed every minute of this discussion. Thank you. And learned, not only enjoyed, but learned also. So vote of thanks. 
Anshula, <coughs> Anshula, not audible. No. Ah, yes. No. Yes, go on. Uh, Professor Kyoko, any concluding remarks from your end? Uh, thank you very much uh, for uh, for this opportunity and then the great discussion. The the comments and the questions were really superb. Uh, I really. Uh, uh, it helped uh, bring up so much uh, very interesting uh, dimension that Dr. Kyaka was was saying. Uh, it's also just to to for the um, uh, for the sake of a positive uh, note. Uh, it's also it's what well, the reason why we also wanted to bring all these uh, childcare arrangement is also to show the ingenious of uh, the the women who are really under pressure, but then then they're able to mobilize so much resources and then able to to managing so this ability is something that we do need to to recognize and then this recognition also might lead to better policies as well so uh, uh, so yes so it's not that they are uh, kind of sitting around and being uh, victimized uh, it is uh, they are it's very much their uh, ingenious um, uh, ability to to overcome uh, many of the, the issues so thank you very much thank you so, um, so formally, once uh, on behalf of Inkey Gender Impact Studies Center, uh, the Gender Center for Research and Innovation, and Delhi Post, I thank our speaker for today, Professor Kyoko Kusakabe, for taking out the time uh, to deliver this very um, enlightening and fascinating uh, talk on migrant workers and childcare in Thailand and Myanmar. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Professor Govind Kilkar, for chairing the session and for your insights. Uh, and thank you to our discussants, Professor Babu Piramesh and Professor Ritu Agarwal for joining us and adding to the deliberation. Uh, thank you to uh, the audience, of course, for bringing up so many uh, great questions and adding to the discussion uh, and for watching this episode. And uh, we hope you tune in for our further episodes of Gender Gaps. Uh, thank you once again to everyone. Good evening. <clears throat> yes. Thank you, Professor Kyoko. Kelkar, ma'am. Babu, sir. Have a good evening. Thank you.